want to welcome everyone to worship together here with us this morning. We serve a great God, a bountiful God, one that abounds in grace and mercy, like we studied about in the Sunday School lesson. This morning, I've titled the message, The Rest, and it's taken out of Hebrews uh, 4, actually the last uh, maybe six verses of Hebrews 3 in the chapter 4. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to that, and we'll, uh, we'll look at these verses and see what the Lord has for us. Why don't we stand to, to read the Word? We'll start with Hebrews 3, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they cannot enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the, <clears throat> the world. For he spake in a certain day, place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of the unbelief, Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, they would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. For he, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You may be seated. So I'd like to look at a few of these verses in here, a few of the, the, the points that the author here addresses. And one is, is don't harden your hearts like in the, like in the rebellion. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion or as in the provocation. <clears throat> Rest comes to the trusting and the believing heart, not to the hardened heart or to the unbelieving heart. A heart of unbelief destroys rest. And I believe a heart of unbelief is never so far away from us as what we would like to think. The Jews, they saw the great works of God and yet they hardened their hearts. They lost hope in Moses in his return from the mountain, and they resorted to the, to the tossing in of their gold to make a golden calf that they could worship. They changed their allegiance from following the pillar of fire to following this handmade golden calf that Aaron said just came out of the fire. And they proclaimed that cast golden calf a delivering God instead of gratefully proclaiming God as their Savior. And thus, this was not the great provocation. This is one of the provocations, as I would understand. In the great provocation, they rejected God's promise and His will to enter Canaan. And we read of that in Numbers 13.1. Um, there the Lord spoke to Moses. He told him, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I gave to the children of Israel. And so Moses sent a man out of each tribe, 12 men. And we know the story, those men came back. In Numbers 14, they came back and 10 of those men said, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be prey, or should be taken by the enemy? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain, let us return into Egypt. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness? Just for, for some background here to this scripture in Hebrews. The great provocation when the Israelites <clears throat> were unwilling to move out of the desert and move into Canaan and take over that land like God had told them. And that account is in Numbers 13 and 14. In fact, I'd like to turn back there to Numbers uh, 13 and just read it some verses here just to give us more of, of the context. Numbers 13, verse 27. These are the spies coming back. And we know that there were ten unfaithful spies and two faithful ones, Joshua and Caleb. Verse 27, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. They brought back grapes 
clusters of grapes that were heavy and were beautiful. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. The descendants of Anak are there. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and I'm moving through this quickly here. The Amorites, they dwell there. The Canaanites dwell there along the sea. So it's well inhabited and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb, he quiets the people before Moses and says, let's go up and at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against that people for they are stronger than we. You know, both of these parties were correct, right? They were well able to overcome and yet they were not able to overcome. And it, the only difference was is that Caleb knew that through the help of God, they would be able to overcome. Um, the, he, he was well aware that they couldn't have their own strength to overcome. These other men, they were lacking faith that God would really step in, I guess. And they talked about these great men of statures, these descendants of Enoch. So the Israelites there were ready to give up, prepared to give up hope of the promised land for the fear of their enemy, these giants. They really didn't believe God could win their battle against so great an enemy. And rather than trust God, they, they chose to elect a leader and go back to a life of servitude in, in Egypt. They said that's better. It's better to be under the, the whip of the enemy and have our own places than to do this, to go up against this, this, these uh, Anakites. And really, when you think about it, how much of a welcome would have they got back in Egypt after the way they left? I don't think that there would have been homes open for them and Pharaoh with his arms wide open saying, come back. And I, I rather think that the, that the Egyptians would have said, no, we don't really want you here. But the children of Israel really didn't think through that, I don't believe. Then I'd like to move on to a very positive point, and that's in Hebrews 4, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Let's look at that verse. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So he's saying in verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. And then he goes on to say, the word preached to them, it didn't profit them because it was a key element missing in that it wasn't mixed with faith of them that heard it. I think there's something here that, that speaks of rest. And that is that, that rest is faith in action, and it's couched in, in us belonging. Knowing that we belong to God. Knowing that we're His. Hearing the Word that does something for us, that moves us on to embracing and on to trust and on to obedience. Faith that responds to the challenges of life, to what we see, what we perceive. What I see and what you see 
you know, I can't know that we're seeing the same thing because I don't have your eyes. But we, we, um, we, we tend to perceive things. Uh, I'm not sure if, that was, if that's the best way to illustrate it, but we do know that maybe the best way is Joshua and Caleb. They saw God when they were entering, when they saw the Anakites. And the spies didn't. They just saw themselves. They saw their own flesh against the flesh of those great men, those mighty men of war. And, and they didn't see God there. So we need a faith that's couched in a belonging, knowing that we belong to God. And God wants our spirit. He wants our will. I believe that rest is belonging. We're made in the image of God. And that's a Genesis principle. Every human being made, every human being ever born or to be born was made in his or her creator's image, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And rest comes when our souls are united with the Spirit of God. There's a seed in all of us, and, and rest comes when our souls, our spirits, were united with this. We become closer to the image of God. We grow in the image of God. Of course, we know there's been a separation between God and men there in the garden. But there's also been a path made to restoration. And we're at rest when the restoration takes place between us and God. And as Christians, we can give mental and we can give intellectual assent to the Bible without really realizing the rest. This rest that God has promised his followers. And God wants more than our assent. He wants us. He wants our being. He wants us to belong to him. He made us in his image. Genesis 1.27 and that's amazing. And he did this for fellowship, for a relationship with us. And then he went on to do something even more amazing. He gave us free will. The ability for ourselves to decide what course in life we're going to take. And ultimately to decide our own destination. And God's a gentleman. He lets us decide. He lets us make our choices. He intervenes. But we still have the Ability to, to decide and to move ahead against His will. And I believe when we do that, we separate ourselves from His image. But as believers, if we're a believer here this morning, I think that's correct to assume in a figurative way that the gracious hand of God has brought us out of Egypt, has delivered us from Pharaoh, from servitude, and has taken us across the Red Sea, made a separation there, and hopefully we've gone through the desert of, again, figuratively speaking here, of repentance. And we've gone on through the Jordan into the Promised Land. And we're reunified with our Creator in a spiritual sense. We're resting, we're belonging to Him today. That's what I would like for each of us and I believe is the case for many, if, for, for many if not all of us here this morning. You know, it's not the will of Jesus that we live a long time in the desert 
and I'm going to say of repentance, of moving around, of not having a place to be. I read the conversion account of, uh, or I read this, the, the book by Sherry Gore uh, here recently. And it's a, it's a good read. I don't remember the, the uh, title of the book. Um, Plain Choice. That's a, that's a great book to read if, if, if any of you get a chance to read that book. Uh, it's, it's on uh, iBooks. And it's just, it's just really a good read of, of a lady who had, of a young girl, who'd grown up in a troubled home. Um, father and mother divorced when she was, I think, six or seven years old. Um, father married another lady. She went to live with her father, but uh, the, the lady he married had a couple children who, who uh, got most of his attention. And thanks to insecurities and so forth, she made some very poor choices in life. Um, and was at a very, very low point when this, uh, she, she had a couple of children um, at the time of her conversion. And I don't want to spoil the book for you, but there was a, there was a very um, dedicated uh, young woman that started speaking into her life of Jesus and started uh, <clears throat> urging her to go to church with her. And uh, finally she did. She went and she became saved. She got to know Jesus. And the story is, is just really, just really, really beautiful. But the, the, what really struck me is how her life completely changed at that point. All of a sudden, there was a sense of belonging for Sherry like there had never been before. And that's what God would have us of us. He'd, he'd like to bring us to this desert into the land of promise quickly. But the Israelites didn't realize that. They waited, they wandered for 40 years because of their rebellion. So to know God is to know rest, is to know peace. And there's only one way for man to be at rest, and that is when, when he's in open communion with his Creator, I believe. Well, I know. That's the only way to be truly at rest. Unrest is not of God. The opposite of rest is not of God. Let us fear of not entering the promised rest, Hebrews 4, 1 says. The soul that rejects communion with God, rejects communion with the only element in his or her life that ever could bring about his or her fulfillment that results in rest. Isaiah 57.20 says that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, just always moving. There's no peace, saith God, saith my God, to the wicked. No rest, no peace, constant churning, mud and mire being brought up. You can see that picture just ongoing. It's coming up to surface time and time again. A constant agitation of troubled thoughts, evil thoughts and evil deeds as a result. A constant focus on the person rather than the adoration of the Creator. That's unrestful. A constant concern for the preserving of self. A lashing out at others. And we see this in society. 
especially in politics. And um, I think beyond, much beyond there, social issues and so forth, where there's not a focus on God, rather there's a focus on self-preservation. And this can have, even happen in our own lives, in our own churches. Maybe even between us, they, it can happen. I always get a, a bad gut feeling when I read Israel's history. You see them coming in, going back to Abraham, and then coming to Moses, the law given, moving on to them being in Egypt, and then the deliverance there. Going on through the years in the desert when all the when God worked in the lives of the children of Israel and prepared them for, for Canaan, for taking over the land of Canaan. And then God miraculously moved the people of Canaan out. He moved these wicked tribes out. These wicked peoples out. And he planted Israel there in a, in a land that she hadn't that she hadn't built. Vineyards, they enjoyed vineyards, they hadn't planted, they enjoyed honey that they hadn't gathered. It was a land of milk and honey, it says. And there were many more struggles. Uh, there wasn't rest as in Israel went there and was able just to go to sleep. But they had to struggle to take over this land. And you follow that on through to the kingship of David when Israel really blossomed. And then the following reign of Solomon and building the temple. And from there, things go downhill. And that's where I get a gut ache when I read. Solomon had all his wives, a heart for many women. And ultimately, his wives' gods drew, ultimately, his wives drew them, drew his heart away from God. And he even started serving his wives' gods. And as a result, God withdrew from Israel. Uh, Solomon disobeyed. He worshipped other gods. As a result, his people started disobeying and worshipping other gods. And it moves on out until Israel, this people coming from one person, Abraham, became a, a split country, divided country, and even fought each other many times. You know, how? what a sad, what a sad, uh, tribute to a people who God had so miraculously intervened for. And her peace, Israel's peace diminished as her sinful excesses increased. Her peace went away. Her rest went away as her sinful excesses increased. She finally succumbed to her own excesses, her own self-worship, her own worship of, of gods that were not God. And unrest is, is characteristic of the evil one. It always was, always will be, and it is. Eve, uh, unrest is characteristic of the devil. He's the author of confusion, agitation, and unrest. And his, only, his one and only goal is to divide, to conquer, and to destroy. And if he's not winning from the outside, if he's not winning from the hand of Pharaoh, he'll work from the inside to separate, to divide, and destroy even the body of Christ. 
Unrest will be the eternal portion of those that side with the devil. We'll see the fulfillment of their choice for eternity. Revelations 14.11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. And it's to be avoided in the church. Romans 16.16 says, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are they that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. First of all, Paul admonishes us to salute each other with a holy kiss, a kiss that demonstrates our peace to each other and to God. And this speaks to me of a, of, of a sign of being at rest within the brotherhood, with each other in the brotherhood. Secondly, Paul admonishes us to mark those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to what he teaches. And if we want to learn about the church, how the church should be, how it should operate, um, Paul talks a lot about that. He presents the church as the bride of Christ, a bride that's been washed in the blood of Christ, a bride who is, who is, uh, whose focus is first and foremost on loving and celebrating Christ and worship, and then moving on from that circle of worship of Christ to, to fellowship and to serving each other in Christ's likeness. This speaks to me of an, of an effort on our part to avoid sedition or division. The church should be a place for worship of Christ, a place of rest, of healing, denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Christ, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. I believe that that kind of attitude will, will foster a place of rest for disciples of Christ. And that's how it works itself out practically, esteeming others better than ourselves, understanding others, having a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of Christ how needful we are and how much grace has abounded to us. Gathering together, not neglecting that part. You know, we all like to assert our little selves and we like to, we like to think that we know the way, but the way God works is through us as a body. He works through us when we pray together, when we meet together, when we seek His face collectively with determination to know his will. And I believe prayer meeting is a great way, great opportunity for us to come together and to seek Christ, to know his will. Rest is the reality of living scripturally. Hebrews 4.10 says, ceasing from our own works and then followed by laboring, let us make every effort. Let us labor, let us make every effort. And then it's followed by verse 12, which says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
That is a powerful verse and it's self-quoted. But in its context, it's talking about us laboring to enter into the rest. And when it's talking about that, it's talking about us. Well, then it's followed, I'll read verse 13 yet. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, before Christ, to whom we must give account. So, so we're to labor, and this labor, I believe, is meaning going to the Word. Finding out what God has for us, because the Word is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to do surgery on us, spiritual surgery on our hearts, our marrow, our thoughts, our attitude. It has the ability to divide, to find places that are rotten inside of us and to separate those parts. And we're supposed to cease from our own works. We're supposed to go to this, the Word of God. And the result is going to be that we're going to become more and more conformed into the image of God. That's how we're created to be, be made into His image. We're going to become more and more conformed to His image as we obediently um, labor in his word. And that's a challenge for me. <clears throat> the promise rest is a layered promise. The Sabbath rest, as it talks about here in Hebrews, the Sabbath rest, God set the creation in order, then rested. The promised land rest to the children of Israel. Then there's a promise rest for the soul that Jesus offers us. And there's some verses I'd like to read here about that. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty says, "Come to me, all you who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." And I, I think one of the key elements again of why his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because. Again, we go back to that Genesis principle. We're made in the image of God. And the closer we get to God, the more we can rest. And the more we're where we're supposed to be at. Then there's the eternal rest promised to those who are faithful. Revelation 14, 12, and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And there's some more promises of rest for the Christian that I'd like to read. Being in the fold of Christ is a sure place of rest. And that's a place we can be right now this morning. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. And Jesus says, I know them. I know them. They belong to me. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That is a sure place of rest, being in the fold of Christ. Jesus is very thoughtful of his children. 
He's made the way, and he's also prepared the reward of eternal rest. John 14:1. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas asked, Lord, we know not the way, whether thou goest, and how can we, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Eternal rest. Not just rest for being in the fold of Christ today, but rest that goes on into eternity and Christ preparing a place for us. And I trust it'll be much more than a McMansion. It'll be something truly beautiful. A place that's truly beautiful. A place prepared for the soul. Jesus desires, I believe it's His will, He earnestly desires us to have restful hearts. He sent us the Comforter, John 14, 26. Not a Comforter that simply soothes our fears and tells us everything will be okay. Rather, it's, He's the Comforter who leads us to deeper and deeper communion with our Maker where is the essence of true rest and peace? So he doesn't come, the comforter doesn't come and say, wherever you're at, that's okay. You're okay. You're going to be all right. Just keep on doing what you're doing, even if it's harmful to you and others and, and creates a divide between you and your God. No, that's not what the work of the comforter. The comforter comes and he gently leads us. He speaks to our needs. He works with the scripture that divides and separates and is alive and active. He works with those scriptures and brings us closer and closer into communion with God where true rest and peace is. Our rest in action. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully. So we rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because that is as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Faith works. We rest our hope fully upon the grace and then we move forward into holiness, into obedience, having our souls couched, so as to speak, in the spiritual image of God. This results in us moving ahead in obedience to God's will. It results us in... It results in us a willingness to go ahead and move across the Jordan like Jacob and, or like Caleb and uh, Joshua will, were willing to do. It puts us into action as God's Word and His Spirit directs in our lives. 
And it brings us closer and closer into the image of God. And that's where we find rest. And that's where I'd like for us all to be today and in the future. Be resting, actively resting in the presence of God. God bless you.